Hey, 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 this is Dr. Sue in Atlanta. How are you guys doing? It is such a pleasure to be back. You know, I just absolutely love this podcast. Podcast, this is Pivot to Greatness, and we are all about you. At Pivot to Greatness, we believe that greatness is your birthright, and we encourage you to own it, own it. And so what we do here is bring you interesting people. These are ordinary people who have made a conscious decision to live extraordinary lives. We talk about a lot of things. We bring you all kinds of content. Sometimes we talk about books. Sometimes we talk about articles or movies, but we always have authentic conversations. We keep it real, real, keep it real, real. And so our purpose here is to bring you content to help you on your greatness journey. One of the things that we recognize is that so many things are happening and there's such a social media reality that's not real and we're constantly comparing ourselves and many times coming up short. But what we want you to know is we believe in you. And so today we've got a phenomenal guest. Her name is Amanda Acker. Hi, Amanda, how are you? Hi, Dr. Sue, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I am so excited, you guys. I am so excited. Thank you, Amanda, for coming. Um, Amanda hails from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How about that? I've never been to Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Steelers used to be my favorite team. You into football at all? No, but uh, when I was pregnant with my son, the Steelers won the Super Bowl. So when I had him um, in Washington, which is close to Pittsburgh, uh, they changed their name to Steelers, Pennsylvania. So he was technically <sighs> born in Steelers, Pennsylvania. Oh, <laughs> how about that? How cool is that? Well, I come from a really big family and my mom and dad had 10 children and there were eight boys and two girls. Whoa. So we had our own little football team and all of my brothers, with the exception of one, all of them played football, which... Mm, I know a lot about football, but I grew to hate it because we only had one TV. So guess what that means? Every oh, my goodness. <laughs> every time there was a game, it didn't matter what I was doing. If It didn't matter what I was watching. One of my brothers would just come and turn the channel. I would be furious. But then I, I, was, <laughs> I was a little kid. They were all bigger and older. So. I would just have to sit there. If I wanted to watch TV, I had to sit there and watch the football game with them. It was fun. I learned a lot, but initially I would be furious. So I've got one son and he played football. I think he came into the world dreaming of playing football because when he was small, the, that was the only way I could get him to, to do anything. I, I, if, I could, if I took away football, I could control his entire life. Wow. Loved it that much. That's so, commitment. <laughs> so I am so excited to have you and excited about the conversation that we are about to have. Uh, one of the things that really, really struck me in terms of how you label yourself is that you are a hope dealer, audience, H-O-P-E dealer. And I just thought that was phenomenal. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to being the hope dealer? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so currently in my life, I'm happily married. I have two wonderful children um, that are healthy and safe. And, you know, life today looks nothing like it did even a few years ago. Uh, you know, growing up, I grew up close to Pittsburgh. I'm in a smaller town. and you know, my mother and I were best friends 
And when my, I was 15, I came home from high school to find out that my mother had left. My parents are now divorced. And I had to build a relationship with my father, who was, for lack of a better way to describe him, emotionally unavailable. So mm -hmm. we didn't have a relationship, you know? So I was kind of just, I felt like I, I felt abandoned. And looking back on it, that's what. I feel like projected me into the mindset that I'm not enough and I don't deserve uh, love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I can't I imagine. Can you go go back to that day? Because what must it have been like emotionally to walk in and think that? I mean, I'm 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 assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming that in your child's mind, you thought all was right with the world, and then you come home and you find out that no. It's not all right with the world. And not only that, but mom is leaving and now I'm left with dad. Yeah. Yeah. The emotions, you know, I can remember being very confused, sad, and angry, like all at the same time. And because prior to that, I know that it had gotten brought up that they might get divorced, but I don't, I didn't believe it. You know, so like you said, I never thought in a million years that anything was ever going to happen. You know, they were just not getting along for right now. It was going to be mm -hmm. okay. Uh, so when I realized that my mother chose to leave instead of stay there for me, that's what made me angry. That was where the anger set in. And I, I don't remember like every little detail anymore, but you know, when I came home, that was the first time I ever saw my dad have a real emotion. Like he looked mm -hmm. like he'd been sitting there crying. Mm -hmm. So I think in that moment, I saw my dad in a different way. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, that did not <laughs> help yeah. me at all uh, at that point. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine, especially one of the things you said is that your mom was your best friend. Now, all of a sudden, not only are you being abandoned by your parent? You're being abandoned by your friend and left with a father who to this point has been emotionally unavailable. How did you, how did you deal with that? Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I kept being a teenager and I can remember, you know, there's a one pivotal moment. So my father tried his best. I will give him that, you know, he tried his best for a while. And there was a point in time where my mother and I were started, you know, she started coming around again and things. And she was staying with my grandmother, but she got into a horribly abusive relationship. And in that happening in my young age, I didn't understand it. I didn't know why my mom needed help moving in and out of apartments and why all this chaos was happening. And she was on all these new medications and she was drinking, like all these out of character things were happening for her. And one day I was with her and she was very upset. And I remember I, I was 15, I had a date. I was like, you know, mom, like, I don't know why you're crying, like what's going on. And she snapped. And she said, you know, something about, can't I just have emotions? And she was going to kill herself oh and um, dumped out all these pills on the counter in the kitchen. And I just remember falling to the floor and like begging her to stop, like, please, you know, and eventually she had me call my dad and my dad picked me up. And in the back of my mind, I knew she's going to follow us. I just had this feeling that she was going to show up. And so I was going to get uh, a shower and I 
was going to shout down, dad, I'm getting in the shower. And lo and behold, there's my mother at the foot of the steps. Mm -hmm. And she told me that I had to choose between her and my father. Wow. And I just kept crying. Like I did, I don't remember responding. And then her and my dad got into some altercation and that was a really hard moment for me. And looking back on it now for who, as I am today and have a teenager of my own as a parent, I would have embraced me and, you know, made sure I was okay, but my dad didn't. Now in the yeah. moment, I didn't realize this was an issue, <laughs> obviously, but I was alone in my emotions and that's what I got used to. And then my dad, my mother told me again, sorry, this is the point I was trying to get to, but uh, <laughs> told me that there was a bench warrant out for my dad because he didn't appear for some, one of their divorce proceedings mm -hmm. in court and to not tell him. So I chose not to tell him. And in that moment, the cops came and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I've messed everything up. I knew I didn't mm -hmm. warn him. So my instincts were to tell him the truth. So I came downstairs after the police left because they didn't take him. And I told him, dad, I knew. And he didn't say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, your mom shouldn't yeah. have done that and put you in that position. He said, why didn't you tell me we're a team? Oh. And that broke whatever bond we were building, so to speak. Uh, and that was, you know, when everything went downhill from there, like he started dating and it was just a big tornado effect after. Oh, that was such a hard place for a kid to be in, not understanding any of that. And, you know, even, even as an adult looking back now, I'm sure you have greater clarity with regard to perhaps the facts, but still that's not, you didn't have access to that information or that understanding to process it as a, a child. So what impact do you think that it had on your life in terms of your continuing to grow up? That moment in itself, I hated myself. I, you know, I couldn't figure out why I didn't tell him. And, you know, I, I, but I, I was in pain. Yeah. But I, like you said, I didn't know how to process that pain. So I started acting out. That mm -hmm. was my, you know, I would stay out really late and make my dad worry about me. Um, the moment I hit 18, I ran away from home. You uh -huh. know, I was, I was hanging out with a man who was older than me. I was starting to drink and smoke and smoke weed and just I, that's how I chose to, to deal with that at that age, you know, because I didn't know any other way. I, I just wanted someone to love me. I wanted to be accepted. Well, at this point, as we look back, um, not speaking for you, but just thinking we're out in your position, I think I would realize after a lot of therapy too, I'm sure, uh, and as I'm processing, I would probably realize that Number one, they were doing the best they could uh, under the circumstances, given their own brokenness. Um, but number two, it's okay for me to acknowledge to myself that their best wasn't what I needed, wasn't good enough for me. And number three, that 
in a way, they really would, I would see that they put me in a position that was untenable for a child, that uh, a child should never be, number one, told that you must choose between your parents. And a child also should never be, in my opinion, put in a position of making grown-up kind of decisions such as do you tell or don't you tell that the police is coming to pick a parent up. Um, but that is, as a grown-up now, looking back and thinking about how I might respond, of course, we don't know if we haven't lived it. So right. you you began to act out, which took you into a space of, it, it seems to me, perhaps a, a way to characterize it is emotional and spiritual darkness. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 and, I, and I can see, I can see that there's still a lot of emotion attached to that. I, I'm, I'm looking at your, your facial expression and and so I'm not going to leave you in that space. Uh, audience, the idea is to uh, show you again that these are real. We are real human beings who have lived real life experiences. And sometimes they've taken us into some dark spaces and spaces that we did some things or we coped in a way that perhaps wasn't in our best interest, but it was the only thing that we knew at the time. It was how we knew to address it, to deal with it, to, to stop the pain. Uh, I'll, I'll just say, for instance, uh, without going into a lot of detail here, there was a time in my life when I was I was suicidal. And what I remember is that I experienced a pain, a physical pain in my heart like I had never experienced before. And all I wanted to do was stop the pain. And I didn't know how to stop it. And so the option for me and my my and what I perceived as li my limited options, the options was was just to take the pills and and be done to, to, to stop the pain. And so even though you're sharing about yours in a, a somewhat different way, I, I my sense is that you were you were taking you were engaging in behaviors and trying different drugs to mask the pain so that you can just live that yeah, you can continue exactly being. It. yeah yeah you know and living that way at such a young age that's all I knew I I didn't go into adulthood with any guidance so but because I did well in school, I did go to college uh, and that I thought I was like, oh, you know, like this is going to be great. I'm going to, you know, be able to get a career. That spark lasted all but like a day. I don't even know. Uh, but college was it was a huge party. I partied a lot. I spent the almost first like half semester seeking out people who could find the parties. Mm -hmm. So when I first went to college, I was majoring in criminal justice and I was on like, they had like a floor that everyone was at the same major. So being on the criminal justice floor, nobody else seemed to want to party, but me. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, where are the frat parties? Like who can connect me? Uh, so I, I started seeking people outside of that space. And that's when I, I found pills. 
uh, I started using uh, benzodiazepines. Clonopin was my drug of choice for this time period. And first time I did pills, I overdosed. It wow. wasn't it wasn't the day I was using it. It was the morning after. And I was hanging out with this guy and I woke up and I didn't know, couldn't recall like what really happened the night before. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh, don't worry about it. Let's go smoke this joint. And I was like, okay. But as soon as I hit the joint, a chemical reaction happened in my body wow. because I had, I had benzodiazepines and I had uh, opiates in my system. Mm -hmm. So when I did that, something happened and I had an adverse reaction. And if it wasn't for that guy who was with me, I would not be here. I, uh, you know, I should be dead. And mm -hmm. he saved my life. And so after that, I remember going to my dad and telling him what had happened and he could have cared less. So it just kept, things just kept happening that would solidify that I wasn't good enough. I don't deserve love. Mm -hmm. And I failed out of college. I stopped going to class. I was self-harming. I was a complete mess with no guidance. And, you know, my, my mother was out of the picture at this point for a while and my dad didn't believe in like the mental health stuff. He's changed since then, but back then he didn't. So I, I felt awkward. I didn't know what a therapist was. I didn't know how to seek help. Right. So when I fell, I fell out of college and my dad was obviously disappointed, but still like I was just on my own. Like I was homeless, you know, my house that I grew up in was for sale and I was still living in it. And I would wake up to strangers walking around my house. Uh, you know, my dad, I didn't have a phone, like all these things. I was just, I was just existing. And, uh, I so what span in. of years, this is, this is like from the time you were 15, when you first came home and, and found out about the divorce through what are we now? 2019. Yeah. I'm 19 still, because this next piece is when, um, I wanted to go back to college and the only way I could, because I failed was I had to get loans out. I wasn't eligible for grants anymore. Mm -hmm. And called my dad <laughs> and I was like, dad, please co-sign. I'll do right this time. Like, please, please give me the second chance. And he denied me. He mm. said no. And the pain I felt from that was unlike anything else at that point. I mean, it was awful. I was so lost, so confused, so dark. And so I moved in with a much older man than me. And I ended up pregnant by this man. I was 19 and pregnant. So now I'm a college dropout and I'm pregnant at age 19 and I barely have a roof over my head. I gave that my daughter up for adoption, which was one of the, that was the first very hard decision I had to make in my life. Um, and then from there, you know, after that occurred, I was in abusive relationships. I was partying. I was just trying to, I just wanted to mask everything. I wanted the pain to yes. stop, like, please stop. And I just kept hitting a wall and, you know, winding up in toxic relationships, not just with men, friends, coworkers. Like I was just, I was in this toxic train. I was a toxic train wreck. I don't know how else to describe yeah, it. Yeah. And event now let's fast forward to like my early twenties. My best friend at the time introduced me to cocaine. 
And that was the drug that I found that answered all of my prayers, so to speak. It numbed so that was me. like a numbing, the drug that numbed everything. you to everything. I didn't care anymore. Um, and at this point, oh, I left out. I had, my son was born uh, mm -hmm. prior to that. He was about a year old whenever I started using. And, you know, I was a shit mom. I didn't care. I, uh -huh. um, and I admit that even though it's hard to say that, but uh -huh. I didn't put him first. And so this is when me getting incarcerated occurs because this man who is old enough to be my grandfather, uh, propositioned me to a job. And he said, I own this business, you know, I'm going to help you, you know, you make all this money. And I went for it. Long story short there, he was not looking for me to work for him legally. This was, he wanted me to have sex with him. And looking back at this, um, even currently, I realized he was grooming me um, to, for trafficking. He wanted me to oh, wow. do these things. And whenever I told my best friend uh, that that occurred, she said, well, let's just go together. Maybe he'll give us more money. And out of desperation and not thinking straight and also not wanting to lose my best friend, we did. Uh, and he just kept, he wouldn't pay us because we wouldn't do the things he wanted us to do. So he wouldn't give uh -huh. us money. And she was really angry. And we made the decision to rob this man. Uh -huh. um, it was me, her, and three men that went and robbed him. And I knew in my gut, I knew I, could, I shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. I know what he's mm -hmm. doing is wrong, but it doesn't justify me doing this to him. Right. It's not right. And we're, I'm driving my car. And I remember I looked over at her. She was in the driver's passenger seat. And I said, we're going to jail. I can't do this. And she goes, oh, F it. She's like, I'll just drive. Now, mind you, I'm going to put you here. I'm shaking, sweating, crying, freaked out, going to puke, like don't want to do this. I get out of my car. She gets into the driver's seat and I don't like, I'm in like a, I was in like a grocery store parking lot. I don't flee. I don't run away from it. I get back in the car and continue. <laughs> well, okay. you know, that that's just an indicator, I think, of how far gone you were in terms of your own internal compass. And, and sometimes that happens. And, and audience, the thing I want you all to understand is there's no judgment here. Life happens. We do stuff. And you can put in whatever words you want to substitute for stuff. We do stuff that when we look back on it, it's like, what was I thinking? And so mm -hmm. I'm sure you've had many times, many moments, uh, Amanda, where you've thought, what was I thinking? I got out of the car. Why did I get back in? But I yeah. did. And so, you know, life goes on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing that happened, like it was, it was honestly, it was stupid. We all risked our lives essentially for something very stupid. It wasn't even worth it. Um, and, you know, I remember going into his apartment and I remember him looking at me and saying, Amanda, what is going on? He knew something was up because I didn't look right. I was, you know, sweating. <laughs> I didn't usually come over to his place sweating. So, um, but then I remember snatching my friend's phone out of her hand. This is the early 2000s. We didn't all have phones. 
uh, and saying, I need to go call and check on my son. I just needed to get out of the situation. And I remember running and telling the guys, like, go do it. I'm, I'm out. And again, I don't drive away. I get into my car and I lay in the back seat and cry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was my reaction. Um, they all come running out shortly after that. And I didn't even make it out of that apartment complex parking lot. I'm pulled over on a very busy street and I am at, I'm pulled over at gunpoint. So it's not like, you know, oh, and I was a goody goody. I never even had detention. And now I'm being pulled over and asked to get out of my car with my hands up with a cop with a gun drawn at me. Oh, my heart is stopped right now. Just even imagining <laughs> that. It was horrifying. And then they get take me out of the car, handcuff me and put me face down on the pavement. It was like an episode of cops, but this is my life. Like this is reality. I've lived it. And that is what I experienced. And I can remember in that moment thinking I was supposed to pick up my son. What am I doing? Why am I here? Why, what, how? And then it instantly went to like those thoughts kind of dwindled to, I need to get out of this. What can I do? Like what, what can I do to get out of this? And I ended up telling the complete truth. I left out that this man was propositioning me and my friend to, to prostitutes essentially but I told him everything because they told me, you tell us the truth, Amanda, you won't go to jail. Please, here you go. Well, <laughs> you know, don't do that. I'm not saying that anything bad about cops, but they're doing their job. They exactly. need to get the truth. That's their job. They exactly. don't have control over what the judge is going to say. So never say anything until you've spoken to a lawyer, especially if you know Absolutely. you're guilty. Um, Absolutely. So. Absolutely. You know, and, and Amanda, I don't know that you know this, but um, I'm a retired attorney and I was a criminal law attorney. And I actually oh, wow. uh, I actually work with the I was an assistant public defender, but I was also an assistant prosecutor. And I also started out my career as a deputy sheriff. So, uh, wow. again, I agree with you not saying anything about law enforcement. We need law enforcement. But I will say to you that. Uh, the Supreme Court has long ago said that law enforcement officers have the right to lie to you in order to get the truth. So, I mean, there there are some situations in which they can't lie to you, but uh, they, they can't lie to you, for instance, and say, well, we're not going to arrest you if you tell us this. But they can say, and and and, and you were saying that they don't have any control over what the judge is going to do. So they can say, and it would be true, that we'll speak to the judge and tell the judge that you cooperated, but the judge gets to decide. And, and in many cases now we have sentencing guidelines. So between the yeah. sentencing guidelines and the judge's discretion, uh, law enforcement officers, once they make the rest, they're pretty much out of that part. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and so, you know, Amanda didn't stop there, though. She wrote the whole thing down. Because I don't know what I'm doing, right? So now we're in holding. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out. And holding is not, as <laughs> not for the faint of heart. Uh, it was, I don't even know the word. It was disgusting. And eventually, hours upon, who knows how much time has gone by, you get to see a judge. And this judge gets to tell you whether you get to go home or not and what your bail will be if you don't get to go home. Right. I'm thinking, well, I'm out of here, guys, you know, in my head, because no one, I Ooh. know at this point, none of them knew that I told the truth, right? 
And I get in front of this judge and he looks at me and says, you have a $10,000 straight bond. You've been, I was convicted of robbery, criminal conspiracy, and prostitution. So those were my charges. Not, I wasn't convicted of all those, but those were my charges. The original and charges. I, I did not get to go home. Now I'm in holding still with my best friend who now knows that, for lack of a better word, I've narked. I've told the cops everything. And now we're all screwed because we can't even swing the story anyway to, to somehow make it less, you right. know, because I, I admitted everything. So now I watch all three of four of them, right? Yeah. Four of them get bailed out and I'm sitting. Mm. So wow. I did not get bailed out. And, oh, and guess who I called my dad. Uh, and I said, dad, I'm in jail. Please help me. You know, I, I really don't want to be here. Didn't ask me what happened. Didn't ask if I was okay. His response was you've made your bed, Mandy now lay in it. Oh goodness. Yeah. Oh goodness. So, you know, I'm dirt poor. I have nothing. You know, my mother and I had reconciled. We were close at this point and she has no money. So I'm in main population of the county jail for about a week. I was in there a week and her and my ex finally gathered up the money. Cause you just pay like a percentage of that bond. And uh -huh. I got out now, mind you, you know, the criminal justice system here in Pittsburgh, you are arrested by the time you get sentenced. That's like a whole year of your life where yeah. you right. have no clue right. what's going to happen to your life. So you right. don't think you can really start anything. You meet a guy and it's like, oh, this is awkward. I might go to jail. Do you love right. me now? Like it was awful. So I didn't know what to do. And drug abuse started again. Toxic relationships started again. Now I'm stripping because I can't make money any other way because I'm afraid to go apply for a job and for them to find out that I have these charges mm -hmm. hanging over my head. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then eventually while stripping, I ended up pregnant again while facing the fact that I could go to prison. We're not talking county. Right. I could have gone to prison. And I thank the Lord, the spirits, my angels, whatever you believe in every single day, because when sentencing finally came, I didn't go to prison. Now, I watched my best friend go away for five years. I wow. watched all three of the guys go to prison for five years. Um, I got one to two years in county um, with option of work release. <laughs> I was allowed, they all had to go that day. Um, they were all convicted of robbery and conspiracy. They dropped my robbery charge. So I only hit, I only got hit with the conspiracy charge. I'm a convicted felon. I was pregnant the whole time I was incarcerated, which was eight months. And I gave my, that daughter up for adoption as well, but she's with her sister. They're with the same family. Uh -huh. And, you know, I would love to say that my wake up call was being released, but it wasn't. It took me over a decade to get to where I am now. I hid myself. I wouldn't tell anyone. I wouldn't apply for jobs that asked. Uh -huh. If they didn't ask, I didn't tell. I didn't go on social media and tell my story. I hid mm -hmm. in silence and I suffered in fear for 10 plus years. Um, and it was really hard. 
But you've been through so lot, so much, such a lot, and and it's so understandable. Um, I mean, given where you started from at fifteen, and all of a sudden feeling abandoned, not 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 taken by your mother, not really shown out with uh, signs of affection by your father, now just kind of spinning and not knowing who am I, what do I do, how do I go. And with everything then that subsequently followed, the acting out, the drug use, abuse, the bad relationships, I mean, to me, it is understandable that even when you came out of jail, you still didn't have the skills. See, what we're talking about is having, being able to connect with the true self and realize that those things that I did are not who I am. And even to, to have the awareness of knowing that there is a better life, knowing that there's a different me, I just don't know how to get to it. So let's just kind of move forward a little bit. How did you, with it, you said it was in the, the last, I believe in the questionnaire, you said within like the last three years or so yeah. that you have really connected with yourself and begun to do the work. And I say begun, not in the sense that you haven't made great progress, but even with me, I haven't experienced all of that. I've had my own experiences, but what I find is that every day I'm still, I'm still working on me. So how did you get to this point now? Um, what what was the pivot three years ago? What was the aha moment when you knew I got to do something different? And then what did you do? So my aha moment was uh, a few years ago when I lost a job due to my self-sabotaging, self-loathing antics that I constantly do, trusting the wrong people. Um, you know, I almost ruined my marriage because mm -hmm. I thought it was okay to text another man. I was going through a lot of drama, uh, with my ex at that point, I was just a complete mess. And when I lost that job, it tore me apart. Mm -hmm. Um, it was devastating. And I remember my husband's at work, the kids weren't home. And I thought to myself, I just can't, I can't live anymore. I can't, I can't do this. I can't keep finding myself here again. And I was going to kill myself. And I remember in that moment thinking, well, wait, I can't, I can't kill myself because I'd be letting down my kids, my husband, yes. my family. And there's something wrong with me. You know, maybe it's not other people it's me and I need help and realizing I needed help was the first step to me recovering mm -hmm. and I reached out to my husband and I told him you know how I was feeling and I started opening up more about my feelings and some of the things that I had been through um, like he already knew a lot of my past but you know just the current emotions the things I was still I... still dealing with that I felt like I shouldn't be dealing with anymore. Like, why do I still feel this way? But when it came bottom line here is that what I realized is I had no values. I had no boundaries. I was the person who was whoever the other person needed me. Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's what started my journey. And just 
really looking, asking myself hard questions, not just saying to my husband or, you know, my friend or whoever I was trusting in the moment to talk to, you know, asking them like, what, what do you think I'm doing here? That's wrong. Like, can, what can I do differently? It was asking myself, well, Amanda, why do you think that you kept going after essentially the same man with a different name? Like, why, why was that happening? You know, <laughs> like what, yeah. what mm -hmm. values, you know, do you love yourself? Like, do you have any compassion for yourself? And I still struggle with this. I am not, like you said, this is a journey that will be ongoing, but it was now that I realize my faults, I know what I stand for. I have boundaries in my life and now when the negative things start creeping in, I can catch them faster. Not to say I don't go through depression still because I do. You know, I have a therapist that I talk to about those things. But, you know, it was honestly, it was just asking myself the hard questions and asking for help. That number one, asking for help. Realizing there was a problem, admitting it, you know, basically surrendering to it and asking for help. And I think that is so huge. When I ask the question, what was your aha moment? What, what happened when, to let you know that if I want something different, I've got to be my own savior. No one's coming to save me. And always it comes down to a matter of me looking at me and realizing that, yes, yeah, stuff has happened and people have been in and out of my life, but I am the one constant. I am the one, I am always the one constant in everything that's happening in my life. And if I want something different, then the constant has to change to become something new. And reaching out to someone, many times it's hard. It, it's really hard for us, number one, to see that we need help, but it's also hard for us to take off the mask and let you see the real me. Uh, to let you see how how lacking I am in self-worth, how to let you see how I think, which isn't necessarily the way you think I think, right? Because I'm showing up as the person that I think you want me to show up as. But when I'm behind closed doors, I get to see who I really am. And so it's really hard. And, and, and I'm speaking from my own true life experience now. Even at this point in my life, I have to make a conscious decision to show me, to show you me. And I remember when I was in college, way back in the dark ages, back in the 70s, my, my, <laughs> my freshman junior year in college, there was this book uh, that I read and it, I think it's called, Why Am I Afraid to Show You Who I Am? Uh, or some variation of that. And, and, and really, I think the answer always comes to, because I am afraid of rejection. I'm afraid that if you see me, you won't like me. And, and a part of that is fed by the, it's fueled by my looking in the mirror and not liking myself. So let me keep this mask on. But in order to move into the space of healing and wholeness, because I think that we all are whole, but we've got, we've got these little dings, dingies, uh, bumps and pimples and we need to do the work to remove them so that we can see the shine that we can see the hope that we can see the greatness that we are i think society beats us up on us we internalize it we beat up on ourselves and we think no i'm not great but yes you are you are you're great you just got some stuff layered on you let's remove the stuff and then we can 
let the shine flow through and you can see your greatness and you can move as a great spirit, which we are spirit beings, but you can move as the great spirit that you are and create the life that you want, realizing that it all begins in your mind. It all begins with a thought. If you think, if you bought into the rhetoric and you think that you're not, then you will show up as not. And so a lot of the healing comes takes place, I think, when we begin to realize, I reject that. I reject that narrative. I reject that story. I am somebody. I am great. I do have potential. I am smart. I am worthwhile. I am worthy. And if you don't see that, I'm okay with that. I just kind of let you fall out of my world because I am more important. And there becomes a time, I sound like I'm preaching and I'm sorry, but there comes a time. <laughs> I think there comes a time we, 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 we're grown, we, we are raised oftentimes and we, we are hurt. We, we have these words hurled up at us like selfish. But I think there comes a time when we have to substitute that word or eliminate that word totally and substitute the word self-full. Yes, I am full of myself. I'm going to give you the overflow, but I got to be full of love for myself, which means I get to set my boundaries, which means I get to decide who I be, right? And so you went through this process and with the assistance of a therapist and, and the continuing support of a therapist, you are now Amanda Acker, the hope dealer. So yeah. tell us what you do now. So I have uh, a podcast, uh, it's called the let good things in show. And on there is my whole story. If you'd ever be interested in listening, you can find a lot of tidbits on there that I shared. I interview, um, amazing humans from around the world. Uh, you know, this season I'm focusing more on people who have been incarcerated, suffered with addiction and mental illness. Those are my three um, passions uh, that I like to speak about and meet other amazing humans who are doing amazing things despite these labels that we have. And uh, I'm also a speaker, so I speak on a lot of other podcasts like yours, and I am going to be starting my search of becoming a keynote speaker and just really growing that. So that is what I do. <laughs> oh, that is phenomenal. I, I did listen to a little bit of your story. Uh, I did go on your website as I do in researching the people that come on and I, I'm just, I'm totally impressed and I, I am honored to have you on and I am grateful that you are, you have grown enough in yourself that you feel comfortable sharing your story. And that doesn't mean that you don't still have places to work on. We all do. I, I personally believe that life comes full circle, that we are continually working on ourselves until the day we die. And when we can, when we can begin to accept that, that all of life is about the process of working on who we be and, 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 and do that in a way that we don't, me, we don't view that as meaning we're less than, we just view it as meaning that the work that I do, at least this is my perspective for me, the work that I do on me is necessary for me to evolve as the spirit being that I am so that I can show up as a better human being so that I can do the work that I'm here to do, my purposed work, so that I can do that work 
and, and, and be a light for other people, not so much as an example, if they choose to view me as an example, wonderful, but as a support and an uplifter to let everybody know that you get to be who you want to be. Yep. Don't take do. on all of the stuff of society because society gives you false. We live in a delusional world because we focus on the illusion. And what I'm saying to you is step back from that, listeners, step back from that. And you realize that you get to create your own reality. Who is the you that you want to be? And I, I and I share that with passion, obviously, because it has taken me all this time, all of these years to get to the point of understanding for myself that that is that is a universal truth and so I salute you Amanda because yeah you've gone through some stuff but you're you're half my age and so you're a step ahead right and congratulations on that so now this is what I want I always have this wonderful question you know, my future pacing question that I, I get so excited about. And so I want to ask you, where will you be one year from now? And so I, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm I probably just finished an interview or a conversation with someone and my phone rings and I answer it and it's you and you go, oh, Dr. Sue, Dr. Sue, I am so excited. This last year has been absolutely phenomenal. It has been more amazing than anything that I could have ever imagined. I... What will you tell me, Amanda? What has happened that has you so excited? I got to speak in uh, multiple universities across uh, the U.S. I um, am now, my podcast is well known and people are seeking me out for speaking opportunities. And my husband and I and my, my kids, we got to go on vacation this year to see the ocean and my husband and I are expecting a baby. So, yay. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. I, listen, <laughs> if y'all who can see me know that I, I, I am truly excited. I'm so excited. And honestly, you know, I do this with each of my guests. And every time I do it, I'm very sincere. I really would like to hear from you one year from now. And I want you to be able to tell me all of these phenomenal things that have happened to you because you deserve every bit of it. But then we also have to look at kind of another aspect of this year of dreams coming true. What challenges did you face? What obstacles or mental hurdles or whatever that you have to look at and deal with in order to achieve the new greatness? Yeah, you know, I dealt with, you know, over this year, still a lot of, you know, my negative self-talk and my desire to sabotage everything around me. So keeping on working on that and staying in therapy and also just dealing with everyday in anxiety. Um, I have high, high functioning anxiety. I think that's what it's defined as. Um, but my anxiety can completely derail my day at any, at a, at a moment's notice. And oh, I, I didn't know there was that. a name for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like generalized well, that, anxiety that, disorder. <laughs> There's high functioning anxiety disorder. There's all different anxiety disorders. I need to do some research on that. <laughs> it's called like, something. Oh, they got another name for it. I just thought that was my normal. <laughs> right. Yes. So just dealing with those things and, you know, dealing with the fear of uh, rejection. Uh, that still is a 
hard thing for me to push through and ask for things that, you know, I fear that I might get rejected. So asking for that next speaking uh, gig or asking to be on that huge podcast over here, that stuff still scares me. So still working through that every day, but facing fear and dealing with the negative self-talk is, you know, something I do all the time. So just normal stuff for high achieving yeah. people, in other words, yeah. just, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> norm. <laughs> norm. That, that's my norm. Uh, even with this podcast, it's like, I, I was, you know, I got the divine download to do this two years ago. And I said, oh, let me just have a private group where I do one of, you know, do just within the group, we'll do meditation. And so God allowed me to do that for a year. And then it's like, no, you're not doing that anymore. You're going to do this uh, podcast and speak to the nations. And I'm going, well, what am I going to say? And, and, and the response, the internal response was open your mouth and I'll speak through you. And so mm-hmm. on those days when I am suffering from the high functioning anxiety, which I didn't know there was a label for, uh, but but my mind is saying, no, no, no. Uh, I open my mouth and allow source to speak through me. And I, I, I keep like, even today, uh, even, even today, and I don't know what it was today, but before we, I came onto this interview with you, I was having a moment and God was just saying, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Right. Because I think I was at a point of thinking, well, I don't know, will, will I still be doing this? But keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, because there are people waiting to hear. And there are, there are so many people that need to hear your story, people that need to hear my story, people that, as I shared before we came on cam- camera, uh, don't I, I don't want people to be deceived by the titles that I wear. I'm just a real human being. I've been through some stuff. And, and trust me when I tell you the titles, they, they, as I was going through the lived experience, the suicidal tendency, the depression, the alcoholism, uh, as I was going through just the stress of living, those titles meant nothing. They meant nothing. And, and, and within it all, here's something that we, let's explore briefly, because I know, Amanda, for me, I had to go deep inside and connect with myself, but I also had to connect with the source that was greater than me, yeah. right? In order to keep it moving. So what has, have you found that you needed to develop more of a spiritual relationship with source and self in order to have the, the strength to have the wherewithal, let's say, to move forward? Yes, you know, part of uh, my process in learning to, you know, accept myself was to listen to myself. So my intuition, you know, stop allowing other voices to interfere with what I know is right, what I know is the best next step for me, not Mm -hmm. Sally, not Joseph, not whoever, like what is right for Amanda? And learning to put those blinders on, so to speak, like, yeah, I'll ask for advice still. But at the end of the day, I have to trust me to make the right choice for me because I have all the answers inside of me and nobody else can give them to me but me. People can reassure me, support me, be a sounding board, but we we all have that ability. But it was learning to really listen to it. That was the hard part because I'll always fight with myself, you know? So (laughs) learning to just let go 
and know that I can trust myself. So yes, mm-hmm. that was a huge part of my, my process and still is to this day. And, and I think that that, well, that's certainly been my process as well or not been, let me, let me change the past tense. That is my process. And, and what I want to say to the listeners, to you listeners is that there's a lot of noise out there. There there's, I, I call it the false reality that is created by the media and it's, it's social media, but it's the regular media. It is the programming that takes place every day, all day, because we are constantly being bombarded with messages. And it is unfortunate that those messages oftentimes, even when they are couched in terms of empowerment, they come at you in a way that is disempowering. And so, I mean, I still use social media, but I, for me, I, it's, a, it's a part of my job. It's a part of how I advertise my services. But when I'm looking at it, I don't get caught up in, oh, she's got that, he's got that. If you get caught up in that, you're going down into a rabbit hole that is nine times out of 10 going to leave you in a space of, I am not good enough. I'm not good enough. And those are part, some of the messages that you have to... Uh, Put the blinders on. At one point, somebody asked me many years ago, do you know why they put blinders on horses when they're in a race? And I said, no, why? So that they can stay in their own lane. Oh, so I didn't put know your that. blinders <laughs> on so that you can stay in your own lane. And I have to remind myself, put my blinders on because I can only see what's in front of me, which is what God is calling me to be. So put your blinders on. Um, so that's one word of advice. And now we're going to ask Amanda, do you, what's your favorite book that you would want to share with, with the audience? So I, um, I interview a lot of authors on my show. And so Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, I can have it. No, I don't have it here. Wait, yeah, I do. Uh Okay. So this book is called, at least I'm not the frog. And the author is Charlie Gray. He is a recovering alcoholic. His story, this book is written so well. Literally, Dr. Sue, I was reading this one day before I had to go to the office and I went to work and I thought to myself, man, I can't wait to get home and keep watching that show. It was the book. (laughs) That's how well it's written. Uh, But yeah, I would recommend that. At least I'm not the frog. Yep. Charlie and, and I'll drop that in the show notes, of course, but I'm going to look at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Very well worth the read. It look when I first got it, I was like, oh, this is long. It's not. It's well worth the read. So Very good. Very good. <laughs> so any words of advice or encouragement for the listeners? You know, I say this all the time. And if you know me, you may have heard me say it before, but it's worth saying again. And you're stronger than you think, no matter what you've been through, no matter what society is telling you, no matter what you're telling yourself with that negative voice, you are enough. You can have an amazing life and you are an amazing human. Very good. I I totally agree with that. Now, uh, do you have specific products and or services that you offer to individuals in addition to the speaking that you're doing? No. Uh, I, I, I was going to do coaching, but I had a download, spiritual download, whatever you want to call it, that that's not 
what I was called to do. I was called to spread my message through speaking and writing. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. And, and do you have a book that is on the horizon or that's already out? I have one that is on the horizon. I'm, it's a huge goal of mine uh, for this year is to write my memoir. So my life story is going to become a book and I hope to have that out before the end of 2022. It's uh a huge dream of mine. So that will be happening. Very good. And when it comes out, would you please let me know? And I will be happy to just alert all the listeners and, and, and everybody on my platform. I have certainly enjoyed this conversation with you. It was deep the way I like to have the conversations. It was very authentic. Um, I think that the listeners have gotten a lot of it, a lot out. And, and I'm sure some of them can see themselves in there. If they, if you don't see yourself in the jail experience, broaden it a little bit and look at relationships in your life, parents, siblings, friends, employment, uh, look, and, and, and if none of that works for you in terms of connecting, look in the mirror, look in the mirror. Who is that person looking back at you? Is that the real you or is that a person who's got a million masks on? Because we all do. Again, no judgment, just being real, real here. So. Now, tell the listeners, please, Amanda, how can they reach you? Sure. So if you want to reach me, I, um, I'm on Facebook, Amanda Marie Acker. I have, um, I'm on Instagram. If you just search the, it's the Let Good Things In Show um, on Instagram. That's also on Facebook. And if you don't like social media, which I totally understand, even though I have like this love I'm like in love with it. Um, <laughs> uh, you can email me, amanda at amandaacker.com. Thank you so much. And I will put all of that in the show notes as well. Amanda, it has been my pleasure. I am so excited. These are the kinds of conversations that I love having because I just, they give me goosebumps. I, I think I'm shining here. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> so it has been my pleasure. Listeners, it has been my pleasure to serve you. Remember, our purpose here is to support you. We believe that greatness is your birthright. We don't tell you what that looks like for you. You get to decide. We're here to support you. We talk about books. We talk about articles. But we bring you really, really real, deep, authentic conversations with people who share with you their life stories. They tell you about their ups. They tell you about their downs. They tell you about their aha moments and the pivots. And they tell you sometimes that I ain't got this stuff. You substitute whatever words you want. I ain't got it together, but I'm working on it. I am every day becoming more and more aware of who I am and moving into being my great self. I'm greater today than I was yesterday. I'll be greater tomorrow still. Until the next time, I am Dr. Sue. I'm your podcast host. I am also a greatness life coach, energy healer, motivational speaker, and a few other things. So check me out as I will be checking you out. If you're interested in being on the program, uh, I will drop that information in the show notes, but you can just send me an email and let me know you're interested. I would love to have you on and to, to hear your story. So until then, namaste.